significant amount of time talking about Ghost Mountain, and they decided to cancel the campaign. Welcome back to Gaming with Gage and Friends, the podcast where your friends talk about role-playing games. My name is Gage, and my friends this week are... This is Dot. And this is Chris. Today we're going to talk about false starts and missteps, those times when you get very excited about a game and then it all falls apart. Our discussion topic is going to be running versus writing the game, the two different skills that often get lumped together into the title of Game Master. And lastly, we're going to have a product spotlight where we talk about Legend of Ghost Mountain, the recent, possibly still going on, maybe finished yesterday, game changer from Pinnacle because we're recording this in advance. But to start off, false starts and missteps. Dot, we're going to be looking at you. Everyone who has been listening to the show this season knows we, we started right from the very first episode of the season talking about the need for Dot to run a game. Some have said that we peer pressured her into running this. Some may be right. All will be right. <laughs> I think that would be fair to say. The fun thing that happened was just through circumstance, Dot, your first game ended up being scheduled on the day that that episode came out. So the very same day that your words traveled into the universe is the same day that that game was set to go. I was going to be there. Chris was going to be there. Actually, Chris and I were there. Yep. The stage was set. We were ready to go. And then what happened, Dot? We were all set and ready to go. We were in the process of starting to go through character descriptions and maybe leaning into some connections a little bit just to kind of refresh because just timing wise, the game itself happened or was scheduled two weeks after I initially said that I was going to run something. So there was a bit of gap in time as we were going through and doing that. One of the players ended up having to deal with a work call before we got to the game one of the players contracted covid i don't know if you've heard about this novel coronavirus Mm. but one of the players right off the bat is gone so we're already going from four to three right and i think that 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 happened either like the day before or the day of because he was not sure if he was going to make it or not he was like if i feel well enough i'm pushing through this is dot's first game it's east texas university chris hussey is gonna be there like he was gonna push through he was like, I'm laying on the tile floor. Like, this is not happening. Yeah. So, we, yeah, first we went from four to three. Which still, I felt comfortable, was able to make some minor adjustments, and it was going to work perfectly fine. But then got a little bit of the wind knocked out of my sails after the second person ended up having to drop out, leaving us with only two people. Farted around for a little bit to see how quickly that call would wrap up, and... 20 minutes turned into 30, 30 turned into a solid 45. Then by an hour later, it was like, yeah, this isn't going to (laughs) happen. This is now just a group of friends hanging out and and chitting and chatting, which to be fair, outside of when we have microphones in our faces, I don't think we do that very often. No. (laughs) It's like either rolling dice or have a microphone. That's true. Or, Or if we're just in the Discord all day, every day. There's that too. Yeah. I'm disappointed that it didn't happen. But the reasons were valid. I can't fault anyone for why we didn't end up following through with that game night because I'm not going to berate someone because they're sick. Like, that's not cool. But then also dealing with work things that takes priority over game night, which is understandable. It didn't work out. And Chris, you actually had the best response, which is what kind of turned it around for me. 
it would be better to reschedule and do it right the first time than try to push through and not do it well and not enjoy that first experience GMing, trying to just make it happen with two people. Yeah, you want to make sure that that first time experience is as as good and as enjoyable as possible. And because there's going to be issues regardless, you know, things are going to happen, whether it's in game or not, that are going to be not what you planned or not going to quite stick the landing on or whatever. So to be able to minimize those things and still have a fulfilling, you know, experience, that's, that's really what you want to shoot for. So not doing that was, you know, unfortunate, but, but yeah, probably the best result under the circumstances, which like you said, very much outside of your control. Also, it just gives me an opportunity to prep more. Yeah. The last thing you needed. (laughs) I can't think of a better way to be introduced uh, to GMing than being disappointed. Because then you're just prepared for everything that comes next. These nights are hard. The nights when you are really ready to go Mm -hmm. and the game falls apart. Those nights are hard. The harder nights for me personally, just the way that I'm wired, are the nights when one person cancels and one person says, I'm a maybe. And mentally I go, I really wanted to do this, but now that I feel like I might have a free evening mm-hmm. to like scroll Instagram next to my spouse or play some like video games, I'm like, I had this light at the end of the tunnel. I'm like, oh my gosh, this would be fantastic. Sometimes this would be fantastic if this game canceled and then it doesn't and that hurts worse. It shouldn't, but this is a, a great way for you to just come out of the gate disappointed so that yeah. you can only go up from it's- here. It, it, that's mm-hmm. exactly it. The worst thing that could possibly happen did. So now it there's it can only get better. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The so worst. Yeah. There's yeah. There's only okay, Gage. Well, only go up from here. Yeah. Well, it, unless the, the, yeah, unless Gage just decides to be a meanie and completely derail the story, which is gonna happen. I'm gonna have to figure out some way to have dragon cats there you go in this setting but you know cat dragons just but I, don't, I don't think that that will happen though only because only because this is gage's favorite setting also and true so it's he, true out of the box he, i'm pretty pleased yeah so he knows it and he operates well within the parameters of what the setting is and can expect him to behave the i mean really honestly the worst thing that probably could happen is despite all of your notes that someone sees the the loophole that you didn't see and com- does a complete end run around and basically destroys all your prep and that that actually happened to me a few times in uh, some BattleTech games way back in the day where I had I had actually taken the time to set up an elaborate map and I had all of these things in place and was ready to go and the one thing there's one there was literally one thing that I hadn't accounted for that I forgot about and they used it and all of, I mean, I had spent hours that day prepping this whole setup and it was, it was for nothing. Everything was over within an hour after we started. Oh gosh. Um, oh gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> That's why I don't prep. That exact thing is what led me to become a prep light GM. It was that wasted stuff. Okay. But I also don't have that experience yet. So I can't 100%, say 100%. That I'm going to be one way or the other unless it just happens. The push from us, which some have called bullying, (laughs) uh, the push from us comes from the fact that 
you're entering this really cool journey for those people who want to GM. Some people have no interest in ever playing a role-playing game. Some people have interest in being a player and never running. So I'm not saying that this is something everyone should do. But for those who want to become a game master, it is a very cool journey to figure out your style. When you get to that point where you're comfortable with your style, that is even cooler. Because the whole beginning, you're just like, this is what Chris does. This is what Eric does. This is what Dan does or whatever you know the GMs in your life. You start trying to emulate them. And that moment when you're like, oh, this is how I run a game. That's very cool. And then we should have a whole discussion topic talking about group dynamics because it is very cool to find your style. It is very cool when you have a group of players who are signing up because they like that. Yeah. And then you're all kind of off to the races. Yes. Yeah, I did um, take advantage of my collection of GM friends. (laughs) And (laughs) for those that weren't signed up for um this game i did ask for feedback and critiques on my notes that i had and (laughs) one person did tell me that i have very thorough notes (laughs) which i mean it's the nicest way of saying that i over prepped but it's fine (laughs) yeah we had that moment of like obviously we're low on players and i started going I know some people that you could just pull out of thin air and give them a character and they're going to be solid. And I started naming names and you're like, those are all the people that have the adventure because I <laughs> yep. sent it to them for feedback. Like they've already the exact same it. well, yep. which perfectly leads into this next topic. You know, this idea of, of running versus writing. So we're getting to this main discussion topic. I'll do a little bit of setting this up because I think this is something that, I'm wrestling with right now and kind of thinking through, which is the fact that we consider to be a good game master is often two separate things. We have the skill that is writing an RPG, and we have the skill that is running an RPG. And they are two very different things. This was more obvious, I think, when more people ran pre-published adventures i think people still do probably more in the D space maybe the the spaces that we are less active in but there are people out there who do not have a head for writing an adventure who are very good game masters who can do all of the characters make them come alive can make every player feel like they are contributing and that they are activated in these combats and in these role-playing scenarios that are like people walk away going that was amazing who are terrible at structuring adventures and stories. And on the other side, there's people who don't have any of those GMing skills, but who understand story and pacing and encounter balance and all of those skills who are really, really good at writing adventures. And for some reason, we kind of lump them together into this skill we call being a good game master. But we don't really break this apart enough. The idea that running a game and writing a game are two completely different skill sets. And so I just kind of wanted to dive into this and kind of break it apart. Dot, you're in a position where you have now written this adventure that you were planning to run. Yes. But you haven't run it yet. So you've been right. exercising that skill set. Chris, you have stuff that you've published. You have stuff that other people have published with your name on it. You obviously run games all of the time. So you kind of bridge this divide. I also think like... I became a gamer when I was a little older because I didn't have friends when I was younger. So I think, Chris, you've probably seen more of the industry trend from like, we only run published, we only run homebrew, we only run public, you know, that kind of wave. So I think you might also have some insight there. So I'm just kind of going to open up this discussion topic to 
uh, to the group because I just want to really get everyone's perspective on this idea of these two skills. I think the latter thing that you mentioned being a, I, I hate to use the term mediocre, but being a not as good GM, but being an excellent adventure writer, um, I think that is a more common thing. I think that there are, there are those who can put those things together, but when it comes to running a compelling game, an exciting game, a game that has real energy and engagement, I think that is a more difficult, I shouldn't say more difficult, that is a skill that is less in use, I think, or less available to a lot of gamers. And I think to kind of put a bit of a, of a tighter definition on, on the former part, being a good game master and not necessarily a great adventure writer, I think that that is not as common, but where I think it is common is that there are a lot of very, very good GMs, but when it comes to taking the time necessary to get outside of their own box to put down this adventure in on a, in a document uh, with the proper structure so that someone else that's not them can pick this up and do it and run with it and understand it. That I think it's, it's not very common because most of the time, really, really good GMs, they'll have their notes for things or if they have a pre-published adventure, but they'll have a lot of mental notes. And it's that part of the equation that never really gets put down in any sort of published document or document that they write up. That's kind of how I see that dichotomy that you lay out there. I would love to push back a little bit on that because when Please you think do. about these two different ideas, so I believe that I am capable of writing. I believe that I have that skill. I've written two adventures. People seem to enjoy them. I would agree with that. However, that is not how I structure my campaigns. My campaign running has nothing to do with my skill of writing. I am very much an improv style GM. My notes are very sparse. My skill at running a game has to do with taking what players are giving me and responding. That is a very reactionary skill set. I mean, that's improv in general, but I think that's a very good thing. I think it, I think it comes across great. I think a lot of times when you hear about bad GMs, it's GMs who aren't listening to their players. That is a separate skill than being able to plan, write, and anticipate for actually doing writing. Um, really quickly, I think, Chris, you and I can go back and forth, and I want to go back and forth. That's why you're one of my friends. But, Dot, I want to take this a step back. So your first time ever running was a false start. But if it hadn't been, mm -hmm. it was going to be something that you wrote. Yes. And this is kind of, I think, the genesis on, on this previous Monday when we were going to do this for Swan. This is where this conversation started. I was like, hey... What led you to think I should write this one shot instead of running something that was already published? Like, because in my mind, I think I did. I think the first time I ever ran, I think I did write it as well. Mm -hmm. But now, a couple years later, a few years later, I'm like, why do people do that? Like, <laughs> why, why would you add that on top of yourself? Why wouldn't you let someone who is an industry professional, we all know that that term can mean anything, but why not let someone who hopefully play tested this? Why not let someone who's been playing this game for years handle the hard parts so you can concentrate on reacting to the players and listening to them and the, the soft skills of running the game? I'm probably wrong on this, but in my head, that's the question that I have kind of for you. Yeah, my comfort level with that stems from because I wrote it, I know it. It would be easier for me to make those quick adjustments, make those improv choices, because I already know what the story is supposed to be in intimate detail. If I was using somebody else's work, 
that level of improv isn't built in. And that's not necessarily a skill that I have flexed the muscle of yet. So I feel like no, like having the detailed knowledge of I wrote this, I know exactly how things are supposed to go. If players decide to derail and go this way, I'll have some sort of backup to relay them back into the original story versus using something already pre-generated. I, I don't know that I'd be able to think on my feet as quickly because I don't know it as well. I'm going to both agree and disagree with that Goody. because I, on the surface of what you said, I, I, I do agree with you. And I think that that's right. I think that there is a control factor there when it comes to a, a creation that you have on your own, mm-hmm. you had the Genesis in your mind and it went to paper, everything. You have a familiarity with this, that a pre-published thing can't necessarily match on that particular level because it was created by someone else. Mm-hmm. However, I think that those points about the reaction and the improv and everything, I think you can have that and you can have that level of reaction. It takes a little bit more work to get there uh, in the sense that you have to read it and probably reread it a couple more times to become really familiar with that material to the same level that you're familiar with your own stuff. And that goes back to what I was saying about having a lot of the mental notes to pick up myself. When I ran uh, Wolverine's or even when I'm running some of my one shots that I did, that I have now, there's a lot of things going on that I have up here in my mind that I already essentially transcribe magically to the uh, to the document, but it's not actually there. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes time to to write that in a format that someone else can make use of it, I have to really take a step back and go very methodically, essentially through my own head to make sure that I have all those points and that the certain mood and feelings and personalities and all of that that I'm conveying are in that document because otherwise it won't fully translate. Now, do I think that someone could pick that up and kind of apply their own stuff to that? Yes, but they would have to go through it, like I said, a few times, I think, to really pick up what's going on here. It's akin to seeing a movie a couple of times or reading a book a couple of times and getting different things out of it each time that you do that until you become truly familiar with that piece of material. Mm -hmm. At least that's kind of how I look at it. On that same point, having something that's pre-published, but then not being in the writer's head, if something were to come up in game, I think that's where my biggest running a game fear comes into play is oh no, I didn't prepare for this to happen. I'm stumbling, I'm failing, I don't know what direction I need to take this now, and I didn't get this from the adventure to begin with, so now I just have no clue. If it's something that I wrote, I have every idea. I know what I could do. You know exactly what's there, and you can go with it, yep. Yep. I would love to push back on a couple of, of ideas in that. One is that you don't know everything. <laughs> whether whether you wrote it right? or someone else wrote it, doesn't matter. I hear what you're saying about having like the prepared freeness to do this. And I don't want to get too stuck on like, we shouldn't make our Wednesday recordings. For those of you who don't know, this is a Wednesday recording. (laughs) You can probably start to piece them together over time by who is available on Wednesdays and who is not. (laughs) A little peep behind the curtain for you. But I don't want to make Wednesday recordings a pick on dot night. So we can can go to this in a broader concept as well. That doesn't bother me. But I do... (laughs) (laughs) I worry about the flip side of that, which is like the idea of like, well, I have this stuff so I can use it when it comes up. I think that there's also something that is like, this is on the paper. Therefore, this is 
what we are doing. Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like having run games for a while, if we go to a one shot and there's a section of the one shot that the players aren't engaging with, that section of the one shot no longer exists anymore. They didn't read it. They don't know. Or, okay, that section of the one shot that was supposed to take place at the top of this bookstore now takes place at the back of this pool hall because for some reason one of you joined a pool league. Cool, whatever, don't care. And there's a freedom to that. Mm -hmm. And that probably is more of just from running games over and over again. But I hope that you don't fall into the trap that I fell into. Chris, I'm sure you fell into early on, which is I have written these six pages of notes for this adventure, therefore... These six pages of notes for this adventure are what we shall do, regardless of where the players go. It's an easy trap to fall into. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it, it's the variation of the whole quantum ogre theory. The ogre will show up regardless of what path the players end up taking. Variation here is that, like you were saying, the action can occur, but the trappings, the setting of that action doesn't necessarily have to be as prescribed yeah you know it's 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 the juice to the apple i guess yeah that's a a bad analogy to call out eric a little bit that's a little um gming tip that i picked up from him is you move the action to the players so when we were recording the etu episode for resting glitch shannon was adamant about going down to the basement because she wanted to go where the fire was and Eric had planned the adventure to happen in the attic. So he was like, you know what? Everything that was supposed to happen in the attic, it's now in the basement. (laughs) There's a fantastic, if I think about it, I'll link it in the show notes. There's a fantastic episode of Savage Interludes where they kind of talk about gaming tropes in general. And when they got to Quantum Ogre Theory, I think it was Tracy, because probably Tracy, she's wicked smart, who was talking about this idea of Quantum Ogre Theory sounds bad until you start looking at genres that aren't D&D. And this blew my mind and I started going through this whole thing. And I think I even reached out to them in their Discord. I was like, this is great. This is this is mind-blowing. Because Quantum Ogre Theory sounds bad. But if you all join up to play in a Who's Agatha game and, I, and we sit down in session zero and we say, we want romance front and center. Then if I as a GM am using Quantum Romance Theory, oh, I have a cute person that was planned based on your character and you didn't go to the place they were supposed to be. So I moved them to the next place. That is me fulfilling promises from session zero. Mm -hmm. If we're playing a mystery game and you go to the wrong place to find the clue and I move the clue there, quantum mystery theory or quantum clue theory, that is fulfilling the promises of session zero. And I think a lot of times quantum ogre theory gets a bad rep because we are not the type of gamers who go in and play a game where in session zero we would say, you know what I want to do? I want to fight monsters and take their stuff. That's all I want to do. Because if you are playing a game where the only goal is to fight monsters and take their stuff, and you went through the whole dungeon without fighting the ogre, you'd be annoyed. Right. It was just a reframing on that whole concept that I think was like mind-blowing to me of like, yes, the moment you take the ogre out, as someone who personally doesn't play a lot of fantasy games, the moment you take the ogre out and you put something else in his place, like Shadowrun, it's like quantum betrayal theory. Somebody from the (laughs) corporation is going to betray you. And if that doesn't happen, are you really playing Shadowrun? It was really illuminating for me. And of course, it comes from Tracy Sizemore because Tracy's a genius. Can't say it enough. Exactly. To talk about another person who is often on Savage Interludes who is not Tracy Sizemore, we're going to move over to our product spotlight uh, and talk about Legend of Ghost Mountain. Uh, For anyone who's unfamiliar with what a game changer is, Pinnacle Entertainment Group, they're the people who create Savage Worlds and the content that goes along with it, recently started taking their crowdfunding campaigns to their own website. So you can go straight to Pinnacle and order straight from then. 
it's really nice in terms of like shipping. I think it's one of the big things. If you're somebody who wants to order a bunch of stuff, especially if you're overseas, it makes that process really easy. But it also gives them a lot of control. They can get the product out faster. It's it's really good for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. This is the third game changer. That fourth? sounds about right. I think I want to say it's the third. Yeah. It's somewhere in that range. And they are doing yet another experiment with this one, which, again, it's on their website. And, and for anyone who, sorry, for anyone who doesn't know, Pinnacle does not fund products so that they will be created Pinnacle funds products after they're created as a marketing strategy. Like you're always going to get the game when they go to funding, regardless of whether or not it funds. And I don't think they've missed funding in a long, long time, but it's all about marketing. It's all about experimenting with these ideas. And so for this new game changer, there's one tier. You go all in on the big box or you wait to order it when it's available otherwise, which is very interesting. I have seen people who have had, thoughts (laughs) thoughts <laughs> yeah it, and it and it it was funny because i got to the site later in the day because i didn't you know i don't think anybody knew that that was what was it was going to be my initial intention was you know oh i'm probably going to back this at some level maybe a hard copy certainly at a digital level because i i listened to the interview i kind of knew what the product was going to be about where it was going to go and i thought okay this sounds this sounds kind of cool but then i got there and i saw that it was just the box. So you're getting, you know, you're getting the box, you're getting the pawns that go with it. You get some gorgeous maps. I mean, you, you get that amount and quality of stuff that people who have gotten box sets from them before have come to expect. You get a box's worth of box. Yes. It's, I mean, it's a, their boxes. And if you, yeah, if anyone hasn't, I, I hit a point recently where I was backing too many things and my pinnacle policy, the pinnacle policy in this house is that if I'm going to back, I back for the box. Okay. Or or not at all, be- all right. because it, it has saved me money. Believe it or not, it has saved me money in the long run. Because I have to decide: Do I like this box? Do I like mm-hmm. it box enough to, <laughs> to to go all the way in? That makes sense. So when I saw that it was just the box, and then saw what the, what the price was on there, it wasn't that the price was outrageous because it certainly is in line with what they have had in the other ones. Then for some reason, it it has given me pause to the sense where I'm I'm not sure. I have to actually really think about this. This is something I want back. And that isn't to be disparaging. It's just to sit there and consider in my mind, you know, what are my personal reasons for for doing this? I mean, it looks gorgeous. The artwork looks fantastic. Uh, The concept sounds great, but it is something that is definitely going to require a little bit of thoughts. And yeah, you're right. There have been some, there have been some comments and whatnot on the, uh, the Savage World Facebook page where, you know, (laughs) whether or not this is a a good experiment or not, it will remain to be seen. I mean, it's already been backed. So clearly enough people think it's a great idea. And so to kind of go a little further, because this has come out a little bit in the Facebook and and some of this is what has been announced. And some of this is my own theory behind this because they're hosting it on their website. They don't have to wait the three weeks that Kickstarter makes you wait to process, Mm -hmm. which means that the day after this closes, they can make digital rewards available to the people who did back for the box, which means, and this is something that they have said, very close to the end of this campaign, the digital product will be available for purchase. All they're doing is saying, hey, this is all on our storefront anyway. This campaign, it's just for the box. And if you think about other industries, if you think about like books, novels, what can you pre-order? 
I think you can pre-order ebooks and audiobooks a lot more now than you used to. But it mm-hmm. used to be if you wanted to pre-order a book, you had to buy the hardcover. If there was a special hardcover, that was the one that was pre-ordered. You waited until the regular market for everything else. And it kind of feels like that. Like, hey, this is just for people who really, really like this, who want to be able to have the box. And then the product will be available normally after this. I've seen some pushback. It's interesting. I'd love to see how this turns out. I'm going to talk a little bit about the setting uh, for those of you who are like, you guys are just going on and on about the box. What's in the box? Fill in your seven moment. Now, okay. I had... actually, hold on. I want to take exception to that particular comment. There are many of us who, when it comes to what's in the box, it's not a seven moment for us. It is a UHF moment for us when they're playing Wheel of Fish show us what's in the box and of course what's in the box is absolutely nothing there's a silent i don't want to say majority but there's a there's a silent group who actually look at this as a uhf reference i've always looked at it as a uhf reference anyone who's hearing this right now i want you to go into the discord no context just go into general and just say seven or did you say uhf uhf the weird Al movie yeah just put those, just no context, just drop that into the general, uh, and we'll see. We'll see when this comes out whether or not people are thinking of 7 or UHF. And I, and I, and I already kind of know how this is going to go. Everyone's going to lean towards 7. I get it, and that's fine. <laughs> but I, but I, what, I would, what I would challenge you to do is you can find the scene on YouTube about what's in the box and watch that scene and try to tell me that that's not, uh, uh, tell me that that is a worse reference. Because it's not. It's a much better reference than seven. Certainly is much Gwyneth more Paltrow's head in the box. Yes. That's all I need to know. Spoilers. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> okay. I can spoil seven. <laughs> I know. It's I was been just long being, enough. I was just being mean. <laughs> so we're talking about uh, The Legend of Ghost Mountain. I also do want to kind of dive into the fact that in terms of experimenting, they're not just experimenting with the box. They're also experimenting with this idea of a savage saga. So they say it's a new type of gaming experience for savage worlds where players will take the roles of one of five heroes facing a dire threat to the entire world of the living. These detailed pre-generated characters must uncover mysteries, make world-changing decisions, and lead the battle against the literal army of the rebellious dead. I don't know how I feel about this. I'm interested to see how people feel about this it feels like there's a very interesting and cool story that here is here to be told and there are a lot of rails to keep you on it i think it might be amazing but it could also come across feeling a little stiff stiff in the sense of the fact that this is the only course that you can take yes here is the setting that was designed by the writer or daryl so it's daryl in this case uh daryl hayher so Daryl wrote the setting, Daryl wrote the adventure, Daryl wrote your character, Daryl wrote your plot hooks, Daryl wrote everything, and now the GM runs it. Where's the room there? And I should say, I'm probably coming, I'm probably sounding very harsh. I am very interested in this idea. It's like the way, like iconic frameworks, the way those work in Savage Worlds. I find them very interesting. I understand the criticism that it feels too much like you're just making classes, but I'm interested. It's the same with this. This feels to me very railroady. But I'm interested. I'm curious about what this is going to be like. We can, I mean, we can leave it there because we don't know because it's not out yet. If you'd like to go and back it, if it's still available, still don't know how time works. You know what I'm going to do is there's this little break in, and listeners know because they've been listening to this. There's this little break in the opening in between the music before the actual intro of the show starts. It's this little moment where I get to say like seven words 
And I will, in those seven words, talk about whether or not you can actually go and get this today. If you can, it's a hundred bucks. Uh, Ghost Mountain. It's a supernatural Wuxia mayhem. There are ghost wardens that are dedicated to make sure that the dead stays dead and that nothing goes wrong. And they, you fight evil ghosts with kung fu. Is I think the nuts and bolts of this setting. If anyone has any other thoughts about this, I think that's pretty good, right? I mean, I will find out. I guess we'll get corrected if it's wrong. So. <laughs> We will be told that it is wrong and that everyone knows the movie seven. That is all the time that we have uh, today. Uh, Dot, Chris, I want to thank you so much for being here. I want to thank you for being my friends. I want to thank everyone else for listening. Uh, Remind you, as always, get into the Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And we will see you all next week. Goodbye now.